This is Echozoe Radio, episode 183 for July 2023 with Ryan Habana on the Christian's relationship to the Sabbath. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 183 for July 2023. Ryan Habana is pastor of Conquering King Fellowship in Egan, Minnesota, instructor at Village Schools of the Bible, president of the Mount Moriah Foundation and Zara Biblical Films, and board member of Echo Zoe Ministries. He returns this month to talk about the Sabbath, from the historical requirements of Sabbath keeping to the contemporary New Testament understanding of the Sabbath. Show notes for this episode are available at echozoe.com slash 183. You'll find an outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures referenced in this episode, additional resources, and related episodes from the Echozoe archives. No big announcements this month, so here's my discussion with Ryan. Ryan, welcome back to Echozoe Radio. It's been what, a year? Uh, I didn't look it up before you came, but yeah, it's been about a year. <laughs> yep. I usually get here at least once a year. So yeah, well, it, I make a point to yeah, do. Yeah, well, I live in I live in the area, so it's it's not. Well, and you're on the board. And, yeah, it's not. And it's not yeah. hard for me to to buzz up here. And as of uh, as of November, you're my pastor now. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, one of one of three elders, but yeah, yeah it's. It's been, I mean, heck, think of, uh, that's going fast. I mean, yeah, a few months, it'll be a year. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and I haven't really talked a whole lot about that shift, but um, still very much love Gospel of Grace Fellowship and Pastor Eric Dalma and Bob DeWay and that. Um, and uh, we've been there for 10 years and had some, just some other reasons why we decided to, switch over and mm-hmm. become a part of Conquering King Fellowship. A uh, little bit more of a drive. A little bit more of a drive, yeah. But, uh, you yeah, know, still have a lot of love for that other congregation as indeed, well. Indeed, indeed. Got a chance to talk to Eric. He was, uh, ran into him. My son is in Civil Air Patrol and did uh, encampment, which is like, Civil Air Patrol has a cadet program that runs from 12 up. So, and usually 12 to about 18 but they do an encampment. It's it's basically boot camp for twelve plus. And Eric's son is in there too. Okay, we, we kind of, as Levi was joining, we coaxed him into bringing Will over, and um, so they were in encampment too. Will and mm-hmm. a couple of the other boys that uh, are over on his side. But uh, so I got a great chance to, to catch up, catch up with yeah. him at uh, graduation. But uh, cool, yeah. And uh, I, I would recommend that to listeners. Um, Civil Air Patrol is a really cool organization. It's an auxiliary of the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you've been involved in that for a while, haven't you? I've been involved for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been on, there's three big missions of Civil Air Patrol. There's cadet programs, uh, aerospace education, and then emergency services. And I joined on the emergency services side. And we do things like uh, 
search and rescue. So if a plane doesn't hit, somebody takes off in a Cessna and, and then they're, they disappear and nobody's mm. heard from them for a while. If it gets to the point where somebody needs to go look for them, then civil air patrol will be tasked with that. Yeah. Or uh, emergency locator beacons are in every airplane. If, if that gets set off, you know, it could be through a hard landing or it could be through a crash or whatnot. The, the air force gets a ping down at, uh, I think it's at the civil air patrol headquarters in, in Alabama. If I remember right, they, they see it lights up. There's a satellite that says there's something in your area. So they call the state level. We call it a wing. And, uh, they start tasking with people with finding it. Usually it's, if somebody had a hard landing and they parked their plane in a hangar and went home and it's just sitting in the hangar and everything's yeah. fine, but, <laughs> but they need to check it out. So I joined on that side and then got inactive as my family was growing. And, uh, and then because the cadet program starts at 12, um, we kind of missed out on my oldest, but then talked Levi into coming and checking it out. Mm-hmm. And just, just come see if you like it. And he did like it. So he signed up and involved and that brought me back into. So now I'm, yeah. was on the emergency services side. Now I'm more on the cadet program side, but All right. so it's a lot of fun. It's a great organization. There are a lot of homeschool families there. A lot of believers, Christian families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know some. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty cool. And uh, what they do with the kids is really, it's really cool to see, you know, they very respectful. They've got that military ethic and customs and courtesies and, Yes, sir. No, sir. Kind of stuff, and you know, and they're just like great kids mm-hmm. overall. But um, yeah, so that's kind of a little backstory about coming over to conquering King and seeing Eric since our departure. But uh, good to see you back, and indeed, and we're going to talk about Sabbath and Christian. Uh, yeah, Sabbath and really the kind of the really zeroing in on the Christian's relationship to the Sabbath, and it's kind of a it really is a, a big issue. It's something that we need to uh, look into and ascertain and come to a conclusion on uh, because uh, Sabbath is something we find throughout the whole counsel of God. And it also is a matter that pertains to covenant. Uh, and as we look through the law, the prophets, and the new covenant writings, we do see that there is much to say about these things. And so I th- really do think it's important for us to uh, step back and look at the whole counsel of God, consider where we are at and uh, what we are called to be and do uh, under the new covenant, uh, as that question in and of itself is, is, is the question that we have. How do we live? How do we walk? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just interested to see how this conversation goes, uh, because as longtime listeners know, if, if you're for, new to, to Ryan as a guest, Ryan always brings a topic. <laughs> so um, Sometimes I reach out to people with a topic in mind, but with Ryan, it's always uh, interesting to see what you bring, and it's always a great conversation. So Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, hashing it out with you. Yeah. So where do we start? with Sabbath? I think perhaps the best place to start is to just consider the, the modern, maybe the modern dynamics, mm-hmm. uh, how Sabbath uh, in practice, how we see it through various uh, people and places today. Uh, there is a lot of different, the- obviously, uh, without you know, even having to say it, there are a lot of different uh, theologies and understandings and practices concerning the Sabbath. 
uh, both Christian and Jewish. Mm-hmm. So uh, the if we again zeroing in on the the Christian uh, observation of Sabbath, uh, and I'm using Christian in a in a very broad sense right now. Those that uh, make some sort of confession concerning Jesus, the, including unorthodox, right, uh, right, Catholic, uh, right. Orthodox and, in the proper sense is an Eastern Orthodox. Right, and uh, and even ones that we might uh, see as uh, within the realm of, uh, of cultic. Uh, mm-hmm. Like speaking of that, um, maybe one of the most tolerable cults, but I, again, I, I hesitate to say that, uh, is Seventh-day Adventism. They may not have uh, the amount of rank heresy that, say, a Mormon would, uh, nevertheless, as you see in their very name, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, that's something they build their fellowship on, mm-hmm. and that is Sabbath-keeping. And so a Seventh-day Adventist, the Seventh-day, again, is Sabbath, and they have, a you know, again, most Seventh-day Adventist churches in their history have this understanding that you uh, you keep the this, this Seventh-day Sabbath or Saturday as the Sabbath, and it is an antichrist doctrine or an antichrist church that does not do such. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one example. Uh, within more mainline denominations and some of the historical Protestant denominations, you have uh, what might be called the Puritan Sabbath, uh, which uh, it is the understanding that the Sabbath has been changed from uh, Saturday to Sunday, from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. And so we are command in, in that perspective, we do have a, a command or an obligation to keep Sabbath, but it is, it's a different day. We're going to talk about that because uh, that's a very popular Protestant position, but it's something that I think is plagued with problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that um, after we look at some of the, the biblical background. Uh, another uh, interesting thing to that I, I find in some ways difficult uh, is see uh, is the realm of Messianic Judaism and uh, those that uh, trace their genealogy back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they. Uh, you know, so they're ethnic Jews, but they're believers in Messiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been over to Israel several times, uh, you and I. Yep. And the <clears throat> the dynamic of Sabbath is very much there. Uh, if you stay more than a couple of weeks or, or even more than a week, you're going yeah. to experience it. You're going to see the, the intricacies, the... Uh, eccentricities, the nuances of the uh, the culture of Sabbath there, and uh, one of the big um, debates in in Israel among the Messianic communities in Israel is: Are you Torah observant or not? Uh, and that would have to do with food laws and and calendar keeping or Sabbath keeping. And so uh, that's something really, uh, again, I think it's, it's trickier than, uh, than other things because you have a cultural element there that uh, needs to be taken into account because if you're living in and among Jews, 
Sabbath is a culture thing. I mean, everything closes down on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's a, an interesting interplay. Uh, are they, is it permissible to, uh, to observe Sabbath under the new covenant even? So that's a, uh, something that will, I think, cross when we uh, look through several texts in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, this is kind of off topic, but um, you brought up a couple different groups that I, I think bring some interesting dynamic just because of history within our own fellowship. And um, you've talked about the Seventh-day Adventists and the Messianic Jews and whatnot. And I, the reason why I think they're interesting is that we've ended up in congregations that are looking for a place to worship. And now uh, you were still with the, you know, you know I was with uh, Gospel of Grace that came out of Twin City Fellowship, and you were still with Twin City Fellowship when they sold the building in Minneapolis, and they they sold to Seventh Day Adventists. Right. And so then we're able to u- continue using the building post sale, like renting it back. And then buying a, uh, that one wasn't messianic at the time, but they bought a Jewish right. synagogue. In St. Louis Park. In St. Louis Park. And then they were renting it back to the synagogue for a while as they were looking mm-hmm. for a new place to meet. And then uh, kind of after your time as uh, Gospel of Grace ended up coming back to the building later, that building was bought by a messianic congregation. It's still to this day owned by a messianic congregation. Right. They meet. Again, yeah. taking advantage of the fact that these groups are are very strict about worshiping on Saturday, and that frees up their building to rent For out Sundays. to, to uh, us that who worship on the Sunday. Right. Yeah, uh, we. Uh, and when in looking for buildings, we, we tongue in cheek say we wish there were more Seventh day Adventist <laughs> buildings around that we might be able <laughs> yeah. to. Or Messianic Jews. Or Messianic, yeah, because we, we, we still, uh, right now, we're, we're renting out of a, a school, mm-hmm. which has its advantages and disadvantages. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, getting back to the topic at hand, uh, I think you wanted to start off with some of the you know, early history in, in the scripture. With. Yeah, I think what's helpful to, when we're looking at Sabbath, to look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think it, really looking at the whole counsel of God is very important. Having a grasp on the whole counsel of God is important when dealing with a theological topic and one that has the pragmatic significance of it like Sabbath does. And so uh, there is, I think, an understanding properly within Judeo-Christian interpretation that we find at least the seeds of Sabbath, the origins of Sabbath back at the beginning. And so going back to creation, you have the seven-day creation by Yahweh. And that seven-day creation, uh, we see on the seventh day, he ceased. Uh, actually, actually, what he says, it's not that he was tired, but that he ceased. He ceased from work. And uh, that in and of itself, we see, holds a pattern to how our cosmos and how our world functions. That's where we really do get this uh, seven-day cycle, which is uh, has been there since the beginning. So uh, that is there, uh, that seven-day 
cycle and the statement or the, the declaration that God uh, rested after the, uh, the sixth day, after the creation of man. So uh, these things withstanding, outside of that, uh, there really isn't any type of specific Sabbath command to rest uh, that we find in the Torah prior to Moses. Uh, so uh, these things are, again, I'm not saying that there isn't the seventh day, a seven-day cycle. Sure. That's there. It's, it's there and it's across cultures. But this it, thing in particular that we find in the, in the Mosaic Covenant uh, is, is really not something found in the patriarchs. Uh, so uh, kind of unlike circumcision, uh, circumcision is something that's found in Abraham in Genesis. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that that's found there. And I, I guess in, in one uh, sense, you can see kind of a pattern of Sabbath in the creation account, but it isn't until we get to the, the law that we find uh, the, uh, the command uh, to keep Sabbath. Now, uh, again, back in Genesis, making our way back there, or excuse me, Exodus, <clears throat> we do find the uh, the so-called Ten Commandments, or what's mm -hmm. called the Decalogue, and that's in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. And the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, really can be seen uh, as uh, a distillation or um, declaration of, of really the, the essence of the law. So uh, by most you know, rabbinical counts, there are 613 specific uh, laws that are expressed in the law of Moses in mm -hmm. the covenant with, of Sinai. So you have those, um, those, but then you have this really distillation into the heart of the law, which we find in the Ten Commandments. Now, this is where things get a little bit thorny, uh, because a, a lot of people who would, you know, look at the Ten Commandments would say, okay, well, look at all all of the rest of the Ten Commandments. We have, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. You shall not kill or you shall not murder. You shall not bear false witness, et cetera, et cetera. And they would say all these other nine, we would say are transcendent and are things that we would still say are binding under the new covenant. Uh, we, we, it, 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 there isn't a permission to murder now or to bear false witness or to have other gods before Yahweh. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's an, an argument, and it, it's one that um, is certainly uh, one that needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, however, uh, I still think, again, as we look at this as the distillation of the law, the, the Sabbath command, I, I would say, does have a fulfillment in Christ, just as all of these other ones have a fulfillment of Christ. But it's very interesting. This is the you know, really the one command that has a, uh, a somewhat of a specific and ceremonial aspect to it. Mm -hmm. It's a day. And it's not—and the other key thing is— 
Uh, we don't make these type of, I, I, I think it's an error to make these type of deductions based on uh, logic that, okay, we have these nine and why, why the 10th? Well, we, where we really need to start is with the uh, commands of Christ and, and understanding in our era, in our age, under the new covenant, what does the Lord have to say about our relationship to, and I'm, I'm going to be very specific here, to the specific Mosaic Sabbath command. Sure. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, because there is a broader understanding of Sabbath uh, that is, I, th- I think, does kind of harken back to this big pr- big picture principle, a transcendent law or a transcendent principle. And we'll, we'll look at that when we get to the new covenant. But uh, that is, again, what we see, what we see in Exodus chapter 20, it's the fourth, uh, fourth commandment. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But then the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, here we see the reference back to creation. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we see that there is a, you know, again, something that stretches back to, um, to creation. Mm-hmm. So this uh, blessing, the, the seventh day, which, again, remembering for us is a sat- the Saturday, Saturday, first day of the week would be um, what we would call Sunday. Uh, then we get again to chapter 35 of the book of Exodus. And there's another, again, command concerning the Sabbath. And then you, we have specific elements that are forbidden uh, concerning the Sabbath. Uh, we see in verse 35, or chapter 35, verse 1, Then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For in six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. And we see in verse 3, uh, that you shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And then, um, uh, so this, uh, you know, we have a, a specific command about kindling fire. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> the the command for Sabbath keep, keeping is, again, instilled and it was binding to those that lived under the law. And right, rightly so, those were that uh, violated it were to be put to death. Uh, that wasn't wrong. That was right. It, it was something that the Lord uh, commanded under this law, and those that were under the law of Moses were to uh, actually go about this. And we see example, an example of that actually in, um, in the, uh, in the law mm-hmm. where one goes out to gather sticks and, uh, they are put to death for it. Yeah. 
And a lot of times, again, this was, wasn't an accident. It would have been a high-handed uh, rejection of the law of Moses by going out and doing that. That's what that individual is doing. So the command for Sabbath keeping is clear under the Mosaic law. So I don't want to derail you at all, but I, I wanted to bring up the Sabbath of the land as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking over at my Lagos and it's Exodus 23. So we kind of skipped over it in between 20 and 35, but um, this idea of a Sabbath of the land for uh, verses 10 through 11, for six years, you shall sow your land and gather and it's yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the, uh, what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise in your vineyard, and my page here kind of ends there. But And what is fascinating about that is that the children of Israel apparently did not do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, once the Lord kicked them out, he was saying that uh, he was ultimately collecting the Sabbath years, and they're going to be kicked out for 70 years mm-hmm. because they uh, neglected to actually do this. And so the land received rest, not by the people obeying the command of the Lord, but by the Lord kicking them out in order that the land might receive rest. So there's an irony mm-hmm. there. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's this, yeah, there's this Sabbath principle and there's also other quote unquote Sabbaths that are related to feasts. Uh, there are Sabbaths that are there that uh, are specifically related to the feasts of Israel that we find in Leviticus chapter 23 as well. So uh, these things are embedded into the law of Moses. And, and a, a lot of this stuff Christians are very unfamiliar with because a lot of Christians are unfamiliar with their Old Testament. They're unfamiliar with the history of Israel. And that's, again, we we need to really... Uh, walk the line here. We are to avail ourselves of the Old Testament, of the Law and Prophets. We are to search and to learn and to see, because in these things, the Lord teaches us. Uh, However, in regards to this, we need to be careful to discern that there is continuity and discontinuity between the Mosaic Law uh, or the law, or the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, with the New Testament. So there's discontinuity and continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for instance, some of the continuity would, would be the only way anybody is saved in any era is by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. There's never a time when somebody is saved through the observation of the law. Uh, so th- uh, the that's the, uh, again, continuity. Discontinuity would be uh, when we get to the New Testament, there is a new covenant. Uh, and that's one thing to be cognizant of and uh, really to let it weigh on us that this new covenant comes. And when there is a change in priesthood, as the author of Hebrews says, there is a change in law as well. So we do not operate under the Mosaic law anymore uh, for those of us that believe in Christ and are under his high priestly ministry. So uh, 
we'll, we'll get there in a moment. But what I what I want to stress as we make our way through was first off, of course, Israel was uh, was constantly disobeying the Lord and and not observing His law. And of course, Sabbaths and feasts would be included there. Now, when we get to the intertestamental period uh, or the second temple period, we do find the rising of the rabbinical uh, elements of uh, of Judaism because the prophets are silent. One of the main reasons why is because the prophets had fallen silent. And so it, it really kind of shifted to the rabbinical uh, elements and the scribes uh, in order to search and seek and teach the people, okay, here's how and how we shouldn't live. And one of the, again, one of the big uh, controversies and points of contention among rabbinical groups and rabbinical schools would have been, okay, how do we observe Sabbath. What is permissible and what isn't? What is binding? What is someone bound to do on the Sabbath and what are they loose to do? Uh, and uh, I like how you put that. There's people, I, 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 I guess I personally, I went through a phase in my walk where this whole idea of binding and loosing was really under, misunderstood. Sure. <laughs> but um, you just sussed out I, I, like the proper application of that. Right. That Binding and loosing that, that we find when we find those terms together to bind and to loose mm -hmm. in the New Testament isn't about demons. Right. Uh, it, it is about uh, it's the rabbinical terms, uh, whether one is, is bound or uh, must do something. Or abstain mm -hmm. from something. What's been bound on heaven yeah. shall be bound on earth. And that, yeah, and that's what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew mm -hmm. 16. Uh, the It's going to be the disciples that he has gathered. They are the ones that bring about uh, what is bound and what is loosed. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. The rabbinical terms, they would have immediately understood that, that no longer are you following the rabbis of this day. You now, his apostles, you now are the ones that, and again, remember the context here is the announcement of Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone upon which he will build his church, mm -hmm. but they are going to be foundational in that they are stewards of the words, stewards of the new covenant. And what they bind on earth will, will have been bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So they're going to teach people what is permitted now and what is forbidden. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that's what we see when, when, we, when we come to the new covenant, there is this milieu, there is this environment where this is uh, a debate. Uh, are you allowed to go and uh, bring out your calf that is uh, drowning in the, in, the, in the river? How far are you able to walk? Uh, how many pounds are you able to lift? All hmm. of these things were uh, things that were debated and discussed, and really it got into the amazing, uh, amazingly the minutia of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something that in a modern sense, in, in regards to rabbinical Judaism, uh, you and I have witnessed and experienced yeah. as we've gone to Israel. 
Uh, Yeah, I always find it a little bit, it's very odd. You know, this, I can can respect like the respect they have for the Sabbath in the macro sense that they're very serious about it. And I think that's a good thing. Right. That they honor the Sabbath. But then I see like how it drives that their day one day a week. You know, it's it's really odd. You know, if you go uh, to a Jewish home on the Sabbath, um, you'll see things like, um, you know, they, they're gracious people like anyone else. They'll have, uh, they'll want to feed you and they'll want to open their home to you and do things to you. But then you see like, well, part of feeding people is then you, you know, they got to clean up, you're cleaning up after your guests. They will load the dishwasher, but in honor of their Sabbath, they won't push the button to run the dishwasher, which seems odd in my mind because it's like, well, you've done the work. The work was loading it. <laughs> well, and that's the question is, is, okay, well, why don't they do that? Why, for what, you know, why do they refrain from that? And it would come from rabbis. Mm-hmm. That understanding would come from uh, certain rabbis that, uh, and again, there are very prominent histories and very prominent traditions that have been instilled over the last uh, 2,000, 2,500 years within the Jewish community. So this, the other very um, infamous one is uh, the Sabbath elevator. Mm-hmm. If you stay in a, uh, in a hotel and on the Sabbath, most, ele- most hotels have uh, a regular elevator and then a Sabbath elevator. Or one elevator that has, you know, a a mode where you can switch it to being a Sabbath elevator. Now, what's a Sabbath elevator? Well, a Sabbath elevator is one that stops on every floor without you pushing buttons. And so, because, again, within the understanding of of many, the pushing of a button would be a, a violation of Sabbath. So you get in. Well, and yeah, and I've learned through the process that that button pushing where they get their biblical basis for that is they call that lighting a fire because electricity is like mm-hmm. can start fires. So, yeah, so right. they equate that to lighting a fire and that's why they won't push the button on the dishwasher to get the thing to start running. Right. And they won't push the elevator button either because that's, they yeah. won't start a fire. Right. And so you see an implication that they see is okay. Any type of energy type of thing is that's where, uh, they're going to, again, follow that. Mm-hmm. And so... But again, you know, I, I, I almost think it would make more sense going back to the dishwasher thing to just pile them up on the sink and get to it on Sunday. Right. You know, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of things, you know, the truth is, is as you wade into a lot of the... And again, it's, you know, once you get into the minutiae of it all... Uh, it does become almost exhausting. It's, it's uh, illogical. It's and exhausting. And exhausting, yes. That, okay, almost this, what can I do, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And, it, it, again, one of the things now that we get, when we get to the New Testament, one of the primary things, uh, and there were a few, but one of the primary things that caused Jesus to get in uh, trouble with the Jerusalem leaderships and the Pharisees and the Sadducees was because they perceived him as breaking the Sabbath. Uh, and so some of these things that we, t- we talk about, like uh, in the book of John, there are two healings that Jesus does in the, 
uh, in Jerusalem, uh, one in chapter five and one in chapter nine, mm-hmm. and both both of them take place on the Sabbath. So he he heals on the Sabbath, which is a a, a debate as to whether that's permissible. But there are a couple other places where Jesus does specific things in order to violate their traditions, uh, which, again, Jesus being the lawgiver. That's all. Like, yeah. he's not violating the law. No. He's violating the tradition. Traditions. And Jesus being the author, the, and perf- the author of the law, the perfect interpreter of the law, and the perfect fulfiller of the law, he ultimately goes and... Uh, in both events, one, he says, pick up your mat and walk. So the picking up your mat was that which they saw as key as breaking the Sabbath. He to- the, the he commanded somebody else to break the Sabbath. Right. So he's a Sabbath breaker. Uh, he's teaching others to or telling other people to break the Sabbath. And then in the, uh, the blind man in chapter 9, he puts mud on the eyes. He, he, he makes mud. Mm-hmm. puts it on the eyes, which that can be seen as, again, breaking the Sabbath. Uh, uh, and again, that's a perspe- perception. Mm-hmm. And then um, he tells this other one to go wash. And in some realms, that could be seen as breaking the Sabbath. So uh, they, the Jerusalem leadership in, in both accounts are opposed to the Lord of the Sabbath, you know, he, that's what Jesus declares himself. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one that decides who, what, when, and where mm-hmm. in regards to the Sabbath. So I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, an interesting aside, uh, in A Mighty Fortress is Our God, mm-hmm. uh, we ha- there's that phrase that says Lord Sabaoth, his mm-hmm. name. And a lot of people think, oh, that's him saying Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, that's not the case at all. If you okay. um, again, this is just an, an interesting aside. It's not Sabbath, Lord, Lord of the Sabbath. There, it's Lord Sabaoth, which comes from hosts. Sabaoth uh, is hosts. Okay. So, when Lord Sabaoth, his name is Lord, Lord of, of hosts. hosts, is his name. So okay. it's, a, it's a taking of the uh, of the uh, the Hebrew and transliterating it. So mm-hmm. uh, when you when you sing that next time and look at the context and you see it makes much more sense, uh, Lord Sabaoth, his name, as it speaks of him being a warrior and he must win the battle. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, an interesting aside there. So Lord Sabaoth is not teaching that he's Lord of the Sabbath, uh, although of course he is Lord of the Sabbath. So, and that's one thing that the Lord, again, speaks to the, uh, the people that, uh, again, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not mad for the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus of Nazareth is Lord of the Sabbath. And that, again, brings us to this time of transition. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, there is a, a promise that the Lord is going to make a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, not like the covenant that he made with their fathers, which uh, it says uh, the covenant I made with them, even though uh, I, I, when I brought them out of Egypt, even though I was their husband. So that it's very specific in that co- in the language of that covenant. 
again, people talk about new and uh, they debate and wrangle over that word as to whether it could, could ever be read as renewed. Because a lot of people think that the new covenant is just a renewed covenant of, uh, of the, the law. Um, for those that are debating that, I would say the, 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 the evidence is is weighed, and, and it certainly is, I think, seeing, saying something brand new. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, regardless of whether you want to take that as a, as a certainty or not, the context tells us very clearly that this covenant is not like the covenant that he made with their fathers when he took them out of Egypt. So it's a different covenant. Uh, it is a new covenant, and... Calling the Mosaic Covenant the Old Covenant is not something dishonoring. Uh, It's something that is actually spoken of in that way in Hebrews chapter 8. So uh, calling the Mosaic Covenant the Old in comparison with the New is is something that is biblical. Uh, At at times, you know, it, it... it may be something that confuses things at certain points. We can certainly can call it the Mosaic Covenant or the the uh, the law or the law of Sinai. But zeroing back in on our, why are we talking about covenants? Well, because uh, the issue of Sabbath is specifically related to this. Uh, what covenant are you under, and what are the requirements? of this covenant. So for those that in the wake of the cross that repent and believe in Jesus of Nazareth, uh, they, whether they were under the old covenant or whether they're under the Mosaic covenant or not, Jew or Gentile, Mm -hmm. they are transferred then to the new covenant. So this new covenant uh, is something that we see the Lord forge. And in the book of Acts, we see uh, the really unfolding of the not only the advance of the gospel, but the unfolding of the understanding brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit as to how we live under this new covenant. That wasn't something that right in Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost, that at that time the disciples had full understanding about what the new covenant dynamics were. There is a progression. Mm -hmm. Uh, It went forth to the Jew first. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is not about it going to the Gentiles yet. It's going to the the Jews, the devout men from every nation that were back in the city because the Mosaic law required it. It was a feast day, Pentecost was, or Shavuot. And so as we advance through the book of Acts, we see that, uh, again, New Covenant understanding is widened in regards to, first off, its scope that the Gentiles are actually included in this, that the Gentiles receive the promised Holy Spirit and they are full standing members of the kingdom and of this new covenant in Christ. So these matters are, uh, are established. And then we get to Acts chapter 15. And Acts chapter 15 is a key 
uh, point in this discussion because Gentiles have come in, and the question is, is do we command them to observe the law? And there was a group that said yes. And then there was another group, really led by Paul and Barnabas, that said no. And ultimately, James and Peter uh, speak up. And Peter himself says, why would we uh, place a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither we nor our fathers could bear? Mm-hmm. And so there was a, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there was a, uh, a declaration at that council that the Gentiles are not required to observe the law of Moses. Now, even with that, there are constant questions that come up, and this is a very involved part of biblical scholarship and and biblical interpretation. And it has to do with, okay, uh, what are we bound to under the new covenant and what aren't we? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is involved because the Old Testament and the the Mosaic law uh, has things within it that we would definitely say transcend the Mosaic law. It isn't something that we would say is unique to the Mosaic law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's one of them. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's another one that would transcend the Mosaic law. Don't we see that kind of in a way in in the, the Decalogue, those two commandments? We almost see, and you said when we talked about the Decalogue about how that is a condensation of the 613 you know, laws right. of Moses. But in a sense, then, when we have the law of the Lord, this love of the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's loving God on one hand, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. And we kind of see that in the two tables of the law, where the first table really is, how do we love God? What does that look like to love God? Right. And then the second table is, how do we love our neighbor? Right, and, and and that is something that we we consider, and we we would certainly say that uh, the the command to not murder is still binding. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I um, ultimately uh, again, in one sense, we can say it's still binding uh, because this is something that, though in the Mosaic Law, is something that transcended the Mosaic Law, something that you would see both before and after, right. because that was something that was wrong from the beginning. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't some, so that's something... I mean, th- those things present themselves through creation itself. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. And the uh, and the law that God puts on the hearts, we see in mm-hmm. Romans chapter 2. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Sabbath, though, again, uh, this is one of the trickier ones. First off... Uh, in regards to the Mosaic law, uh, anybody that would, you know, that would look at the Mosaic law and say, okay, well, uh, sacrificing a Passover lamb every year in Jerusalem is binding upon every believer in Jesus. Uh, I don't, you know, that's something that you very, very rarely hear. I'm sure there's probably somebody out there that does say it, (laughs) but it's something that is, is, is very rarely, uh, set forth by anybody because uh, it's simply 
not possible now. Right. There needs to be a priesthood. There needs to, uh, you know, that's the there need there needs to be a mosaic uh, or Levitical priesthood there. There needs to be a place for this to take, uh, which would be on Mount Moriah, which that is taken right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that type of argumentation uh, in looking at the mosaic law, we 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 naturally understand. Okay, that's not binding anymore. No mm-hmm. longer are we to offer up as the people of God. If if we were living. Uh, in the ancient Near East, and uh, we were living at the time of David, then we would rightly submit to the law of Moses uh, as as a Gentile, uh, because that's something that, again, in whatever way we could, because there were, again, laws for Gentiles and laws for, for Jews, but we would submit as a, a foreigner in whatever way that was permissible for us, uh, because we would live in the midst of God's people. But now something's different. It's that a Gentile under the new covenant can and does stay a Gentile. We may be grafted in to the uh, um, promises. We may become family members with those that are that have come before us. Mm-hmm. But we're still very much considered Gentiles. Uh, you, you, your ethnicity. Your uh, ancestry does not change. So, and, and that's what the, the Lord stresses that, and Paul stresses that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, uh, male or female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. So it's whether you're in Christ, that's the main thing. Are you in Christ? So that big deal continues, are you in Christ? In I, I would say that element is a key part of understanding how the Sabbath is something that is still uh, certainly valuable and something that is to be looked towards as a believer, but it's not in regards to the observance of an old covenant uh, law. And so let's first take a look at a couple of key passages in the New Testament, and 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 then again, we'll as we after we look at these, we'll we'll step back and I'll, I'll summarize it and at least give my perspective of what a New Covenant view of the Sabbath should be. So, uh, one the first place I want us to go is Romans chapter fourteen. So Romans is Paul's uh, really magnum opus of theology. He speaks of the glorious gospel and being justified by grace through faith. And after chapter 11, there is a shift to practical matters. There is matters concerning... Um, again, the renewing of our mind to submission to government to not taking revenge. Uh, and we get to chapter 14. And keep in mind, this is, uh, again, would certainly have been a, a letter written after the Jerusalem Council and of, of Acts 15. And in verse 1 of chapter 14, we see, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith, faith that he may eat all things. 
but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, and and another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and for he who eats not, uh, uh, to the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. So the key passage here is verse 5, and that is one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. The reason why this is a very important passage is that if there was a command to observe the Mosaic calendar, to observe, especially again, to observe Sabbath here, Mm -hmm. uh, this would have been where Paul would express it. The, 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 The debate is differences of opinion on whether to value one day above another. And Paul says, not, he doesn't say, well, we know the Sabbath is binding, so everyone must uh, elevate the seventh day above everyone else. So that element and that call and exhortation uh, is key to New Covenant understanding. Uh, it really does speak to freedom in regards to days of worship. We'll talk, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get into really maybe post-New Testament dynamics, but there is this question about whether the Sabbath was then switched from Saturday to Sunday mm-hmm. uh, in light of the Lord's resurrection. Now, we'll, we'll take a look at that um, when we maybe look at church history. So we'll, we'll keep looking historically beyond. But again, this right here is the Apostle Paul giving freedom in regards to days of worship. Uh, One person may observe the Sabbath. And again, again, I I don't think this is necessarily observing the Sabbath uh, in all of its old covenant dynamics, but it's still, again, elevating the seventh day above all the rest of the days, Mm -hmm. Saturday. At this point, we've already got some of the, and you mentioned church history, but some of that's already coming into play, you know, going back to Acts, where we're finding that uh, there are people already beginning to worship on Sunday. Right. Gathering, at least, on the the first day of the week. Mm -hmm. Although there would, uh, on the Lord's Day. And that's what's interesting is there's a, a debate within the, between both those that are wanting to command Sabbath keeping and say the early Christians were keeping Sabbath to say that, well, uh, the Lord's day is Sabbath, not the first day of the week. Uh, so again, there, there's ways that people bandy about in regards sure, to that. But, but they're honoring the fact that the resurrection was on a Sunday in that that's the day they're gathering. Right, right. That would so, be the reason why. But I would even say what, what we find in chapter 14 here with Paul mm-hmm. uh in in what he's is saying is is something that uh, doesn't 
demand a particular day sure to gather to worship uh and that again the two ba- main ones would be in church history or uh, even modern would be Saturday or Sunday, mm-hmm. but, but you can al- almost read between the lines here that what he's saying that there that there is some kind of disagreement going on. I like this Jerusalem Council kind of stuff. You know, should we be gathering on Saturday like we always have, or right. should we be gathering on Sunday? And this is almost like reading between the lines on on Romans fourteen is Paul saying, you know, do what you want to do. Yeah, uh, let each people be let each one be convinced in your own in your own mind. But the key of Romans fourteen is don't judge Others. your brother. Right. Don't judge your brother for the opinion that he has. And I think actually the strong is the so the indication here is that the strong is actually uh, the one who sees all days alike or eats all things mm-hmm. because they recognize their freedom in Christ and they're not, they're not really bound to these things anymore. Yeah. And that points to, again, what I think the new, the, the true new covenant understanding of Sabbath should be is that we really shouldn't be thinking of Sabbath as a day of the week to worship. What we should do is think of Sabbath as something that points us to the perfect finished work of Jesus. So, and I think that's something that we'll see in actually the book of Hebrews, is that we who believe enter Sabbath rest. Mm -hmm. It's something that is entered into by belief. So it, it, in one sense, widens the scope of what Sabbath was pointing to in, in both what the Lord did with the original seven days, as well as the pattern of Sabbath that was embedded in the culture and people of Israel, was it pointed to something in a cosmic sense, in a wider sense, and that is that those who believe are going to receive rest rest for their souls. That's what Jesus says in the midst of a Sabbath controversy. He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, again, that yoke language is something that was often uh, analogous to law. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus coming to Jesus is the... Uh, the point where we truly do enter Sabbath rest, which is why Paul here is not commanding a specific day, but ultimately giving freedom in regards to days of worship because the pri- really the primary element is whether we are fixing our eyes on Christ. And uh, another, um, another element that we want to keep in mind here is that Paul... <clears throat> Uh, again, Paul is, is, is a Jew. Paul is one that uh, certainly was one that was zealous for Seventh-day Sabbath-keeping uh, as a Pharisee. Uh, but he, again, his understanding of the, the New Covenant is very clear here. And again, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, we receive that there are... Um, uh, there is freedom in regards to days of worship. That's what uh, Romans 14 is about. Yeah. And, but in other places that Paul writes, we have, 
we have teaching, once again, in regards to days of worship. And that's the second place I want us to go, and that is in Colossians chapter 2. Now, let's talk a little bit about the context of Colossians. The context of Colossians is one that uh, there was this false teaching about, it's called the Colossian heresy because it was really kind of a hodgepodge of various false teachings, which it seemed to borrow from some of the mystery religions and understanding or understanding and practices of, of, of pagans, uh, uh, those within, again, Greek and Roman culture. But also there was a mixture of uh, practicing of, of Jewish rites. And uh, Paul uh, rebukes this, this Colossian heresy. And he does so in a, a very systematic way. But for our perspective, in regards to all of this, in, in chapter 2, verse 16 and verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are uh, these which are a mere, a mere shadow or a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So once again, there is a very clear command here. Paul says, don't let anybody judge you in regards to whether you're keeping the Jewish calendar or not. And we see here, he says, um, uh, a first food or drink or in festival respect to a festival, new moon or Sabbath day. Now festival would be yearly, mm-hmm. new moon monthly mm-hmm. and Sabbath day weekly. So we are not required to uh, observe the Jewish calendar under the new covenant. Uh, you're free to, as long as you aren't, uh, falling back into the mosaic realm. Uh, if it is something of, number one, a cultural dynamic. Uh, and then when I say observe, uh, I, I, I'm meaning to in some way remember. Because I, 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 even in the modern day, the Jewish festivals or feasts, uh, you can't even do that anymore. Uh, right. you, you can't you can't observe them in in a mosaic sense because the the temple and priesthood isn't isn't functioning, and if they were to go back up, we're called not to not to go back to these things because we are to keep our hearts and minds fixed on fixed on Christ, which is why I said there is a fine line here in regards to what is permissible under the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're going to take us into Hebrews, aren't you? Yeah, well, uh, that's that's there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and Hebrews is very clear that we, we don't go back to the law of Moses. Uh, we um, are uh, fully uh, saved, uh, fully cleansed, and perfectly cleansed by the blood of Christ. This is the center of it. Are you focusing on Christ. So if somebody is remembering the Jewish feasts and looking at how Christ is actually the fulfillment of these Jewish feasts, that's, I think, well and good. Mm. Uh, if if someone 
sets apart Saturday. Let's just say a messianic community sets sets up apart Saturday for their worship, because this is historically what they have done as Jews, and it's something that is obviously easiest in the land because that's when everything's closed. And that's when people have their days off. So, if they're observing then that day, but they're observing it unto Christ, uh, that is good. Mm-hmm. Um, as the the key element here is as long as you do not command others to worship in the same way you are. If you have a brother or sister that is a believer in Christ, but they don't worship on Saturday or Sunday. Now we, again, a new covenant command, we are commanded to gather Again, that very book of Hebrews, do not forsake the abandon, uh, the uh, gathering, uh, but do so all the more as we see the day drawing near. So the command to fellowship is there, and we are to do it all the more, more than once a week. We, we shouldn't see that as the, the, the maximum. We should see that as the base, the baseline, mm-hmm. as the, the foundation. And so we are to gather and, and do so all the more because gathering together is indeed a means of grace where the spirit, where spiritual gifts are expressed and brought about and we, uh, we work and labor and love uh, for and with one another to serve Christ, our King. So uh, again, the command to fellowship certainly is here. Uh, but, you know, whether you do it on, a, uh, on whatever, whatever day you do it uh, is ultimately you do it to the Lord. And that's what you need to do. And don't judge another if they aren't doing it exactly the way you, you are doing it, because there is, I am convinced, freedom within the new covenant in regards to days of worship. The reason why I think this is important, because if you take any other position, if you say, no, you have to do Sunday, or you have to do Saturday, you ultimately, be, I think, become a lawgiver. Mm-hmm. You are expressing something that under the new covenant ultimately has not been established. And I would say Paul's writing in, uh, in Romans 14 is opposed to that. So uh, another passage that is um, important, uh, we find in chapters three and four of Hebrews. And in chapter three and four of Hebrews, uh, Paul is, or not not Paul, but the author of Hebrews. I I don't think Paul wrote (laughs) Hebrews, uh, but I don't know. I don't know who, but I don't think it was Paul for several reasons. But nevertheless, uh, the author of Hebrews is going through the wilderness, really kind of the wilderness wanderings and uh, bringing uh, up this aspect that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you as when they provoked me in the day of the wilderness. And uh, there is an oath that they shall never enter his rest. Those that were wandering in the wilderness, the Lord takes an oath, they will never enter my rest. And uh, the Holy Spirit through the psalmist, through David, uh, says, uh, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So he speaks of uh, another day um, when there is this uh, this rest 
if you hear his voice, do, do not harden your hearts. And, and uh, David uh, says that there, there is a, a rest for God's people. Now, the broad sense of this is, is seen in, in verse, uh, verse 6, first off. We see, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, that's rest, and those who formerly had good news preached to them fail to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had been able, had given them rest, now again, this is a, a bigger sense of rest, about entering the land and having rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. And then verse 9, key here. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. So we see again, God did from his, that bigger picture of rest. And so this believer's rest is, is, is so important to kind of see the, the big picture of what, we, uh, of what we considered earlier. So uh, this truth of rest is established in, in Hebrews. And again, Hebrews is, is showing that that which Jesus brings uh, in the new covenant is supreme than all that was held dear under the law and prophets. So there's this remaining to enter into the rest. And uh, verse three says, we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed enter that rest. So it's through belief in Christ that we enter this Sabbath rest. And again, this is not about the observance of an old covenant law, but it's about its principle. Remember what Paul said. These matters were um, a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. So that's what, what was pointing to in the, in the uh, command of Sabbath was pointing forward to something greater that we are going to enter into this eternal rest uh, from toil and from uh, hardship and from slavery and from uh, sin and even from our, our own works, we will rest from them in Christ. So what I would say is true Sabbath keeping under the new covenant is belief and finding our rest in Christ. As we read and see these commands, uh, that are, again, remember the Sabbath, keep them holy, the way that is fulfilled under the new covenant is through belief, through coming to Christ who is our Sabbath rest. Uh, he's the substance. He's the one that we truly, and then again, all of the commands of the, um, of the Decalogue is, have their fulfillment in Christ. The only way we, uh, we love God and neighbor is through the power of Christ. Uh, it's not in our own works. Uh, it's not from the law. It's from the power of Christ and by his Holy Spirit. So that is, again, biblical history. And so, again, my, my understanding is under the new covenant, there is no binding uh, 
um, command in regards to worship to the new covenant community, but rather there is freedom in regards to people and groups as to when they meet, mm-hmm. uh, when they worship. Uh, one of the the big issues that uh, I see with other positions is the slippery slope that they lead to. Uh, first off, let's take the perspective that some that claim Christ uh, and say that the Seventh-day Sabbath is something that is uh, demanded and required for, uh, for all Christians. It's mm-hmm. binding upon all Christians. Uh, my, my question then is if, if you're taking that from the, the old, the, the old covenant law and observance, then I would say, well, well, what are the parameters? Because it isn't just do this. There are all sorts of other commands and punishments that are found in the law. Mm -hmm. First, again, the big question, what can or can't we do? So ultimately, if you're going to start creating that list, you're going to run into the same probably situation that they found in the uh, intertestamental period that had all of these lists about what you could or couldn't do. Uh, So it starts to turn into, again, another strict law. The, um, the, The other dynamic is, okay, what's the punishment? If someone violates Sabbath, what is to be done? And according to the law, if you're Following the law, according to the law, the punishment is death. Now, very rarely, if if at all, I'm sure there might be a place in the world that might uh, that might put to death somebody that doesn't keep Sabbath. Some, somewhere in the world, it's a big world, mm-hmm. but within our spheres, for the most part, we really don't see uh, any any even close to type of a thing going on. That, uh, again, that, but both work together because uh, if someone does break the Sabbath, you need to have laws about what breaking Sabbath actually means. So, again, it's a slippery slope, and it's, again, going down that road is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, uh, that's, you know, again, one dynamic. Now, the, if we're looking historically... Again, that would be something that is is seen in, say, seventh, you know, seventh day uh, ob- observance of Sabbath is really found within what we might call uh, messianic communities. Uh, and by the way, messianic communities aren't just Jews. A lot of messianic communities might be primarily Gentiles, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, especially here in the in the states. But that's fodder for another time. The um, the other perspective, however, uh, in regards to church history, is the belief that Sabbath was transferred to Sunday, that no longer was the seventh day the the time of Sabbath, but we then have a first day Sabbath. And, and you, you find that, I think there's a lot of overlap on that uh, with uh, also this idea of a transference of baptism being like the the fulfillment of the or the new testament version of circumcision, circumcision. as well right this kind of uh 
there is a a, a new uh, type of law mm-hmm. uh, that in some way is supplanting that which was of old. And really, I, 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 certainly there is things where there is replacement, like uh, there's a new priesthood. The, you know, uh, there's a new priesthood, and that's the priest, that's Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's the priesthood we are under. That's different. Uh, So that's, there, there is a replacement there. Uh, But so much of what we find in the scriptures speaks of fulfillment. And like I said, there's continuity and discontinuity. And just as I don't see that there is a connection between circumcision and baptism or some sort of supplanting, nor do I see there being uh, a, um, a, an understanding that the first day of the week is now the new seventh day of the week. We rest on the first day of the week. Um, the first, that's not to say that I, I don't believe that the early Christians were likely probably primarily meeting on the first day of the week mm. or, or, or Sunday. I think they were. Um, but what I, I don't think, and I, I, I don't see the biblical evidence concerning this, that there was a, an understanding that Sabbath and its elements were somehow transferred to the first day of the week. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that in and of itself, that, that is again, important. And again, the other, the, that which I outlined with a Saturday Sabbath under, if you're observing Saturday Sabbath as a, as a believer in Messiah under the new covenant, um, which again, I question, are you really, are you really observing it under the new covenant then? Uh, because I think part and parcel of the dynamics of the new covenant uh, we see in the scriptures is freedom from the uh, the oversight of the law of the law of Moses it's something that we need to be very careful with again we, we would never say that the, the the law is bad that the Mosaic law was somehow uh, wicked we get perish the thought uh, God forbid as Paul would say uh, the the Mosaic law was was and in in some sense it is good because it is uh, again again a guide a teacher about the holiness of God about the sinfulness of man and points us to Christ. So the law does. Jesus said that the law speaks of Him. He says, "I did not come to, dis- to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill." So all of these things are things that we uh, uh, remember and establish and keep in mind. And that's why, again, I think going to a uh, saying, okay, Sunday is now Sabbath, the same challenges, I think, would go forth. Uh, Okay, if it is Sabbath, what are its rules? Now, what is its laws? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and by what authority then, by what authority are you setting up these laws? If you're going to say by Moses' authority, well, now you're... (laughs) <laughs> you're walking down a path that, okay, so then by that same logic, um, you still are going to have to come up with your understanding of what breaking the law, breaking the law is and, and isn't. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, uh, the, the punitive element is death. And again, nobody, nobody takes it that far. No, nobody does. But I, I again, uh, e- even if you're looking at pattern, as some pe- some people again, I've, I've read uh, covenant theologians, uh, some covenant theologians. Again, there's uh, different opinions that 
that would declare that, uh, well, this, the Sabbath gave, gave us a pattern that we follow. And I, I suppose, you know, that's mm-hmm. something that we could uh, uh, say that, okay, this is something that we could in some gener- generality see. But still, there is a problem by saying, okay, taking that, a pattern, and saying, now it's, it, you must do it on Sunday. Because that's the that's the new Sabbath. That's the new command. That okay, it's on this day that yeah. we uh, consecrate. That we are, are doing all of these things. So uh, I, again, I think the the baseline issue has to do with what what is always baseline is is how do we understand this in Christ and with Christ and through Christ. How are we fixing our hearts and minds upon him? And are we looking for rest in the observance of a weekly command in regards to a weekly observance? Or are we truly actually finding our rest in the one that has brought about new life, new creation? Mm-hmm. Are we truly finding our rest in him in all in all of these ways? And again, it's a much greater rest uh, a much wider rest. And I, I do think, again, it speaks back to when Jesus says, again, come to me, all who you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. So rest is a, a, a biblical theme that would, you know, something that is a theme that you could find for another time. And Hebrews brings up this big biblical theme. But again, we who believe, it's about belief. Belief causes us to enter this rest. We who have believed enter this Sabbath rest. And that rest is found in Christ, which, again, speaking of Colossians chapter 2, the substance of the Sabbath belongs to to Messiah, to Christ. He fulfills that. So, uh, again, there are a lot of, you know, practical ramifications that come along with this. And some, you know, some may be more thorny and dangerous than others. Yeah. But you can see how, again, there's a lot of big picture things that are tied to this. Um, his, history, uh, covenants, uh, the people of God, is, you know, is Israel and, and the church, you know, all of those things are related to this Sabbath issue. So it is really a, you know, a big issue. And uh, like I said, there's all sorts of discern, discerning issues that we really almost you you almost need to take each each case if we're talking in a modern sense each case on its own mm-hmm. to discern whether it is whether what somebody is advocating is something that is in line with the new covenant message or whether it is actually something that is opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Well, Ryan, uh, thanks so much for bringing this topic. It was uh, it was a great discussion. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You betcha. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't have any more to add. I don't know. You boy, I, sound, just I, boy I sounded for people that are maybe down south. I sounded so much like a northerner. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I try not to think I have this <laughs> northern accent or way of speaking. But sometimes I catch myself and I yeah. see, I see myself how, how other people on the east or west uh, or or south might hear me. Well, you grew up in small, t- not just in Minnesota, but small town Minnesota. Yeah, but <laughs> smaller, not way, but small, not, smaller town Minnesota. Not way up north, though, no, uh, yeah. which is, if you want to say worse, <laughs> is worse. <laughs> Too much uh, Canadian influence up there. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, Ryan. Well, thanks so much. And uh, I, I always look forward to seeing what you bring. And uh, once again, I look forward to what, what you'll have in 2024 when I bring you back. Yeah, if so, the Lord so wills. If the Lord so wills, indeed. Thanks. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 183. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the August episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 